1: Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I have with me John Bly. He's a CPA at Aprio. He's the South Atlantic Regional Manager and frequently requested global speaker, the author of Cracking the Code, an entrepreneur's guide to growing your business through mergers and acquisitions for pennies on the dollar, which we're going to get into. He also serves as the host of the Aprio Advisory Podcast, helping listeners tackle the issues that keep business owners awake at night. And we've actually met in person before, which is always kind of fun. Not always the case on these shows. We had breakfast when I was in your neck of the woods, I guess a couple of months ago, right?
0: That's right. And I'm I'm excited to be on with you today. And uh, it was nice to meet you. And it sounds like uh, we've continued to develop that network in the last couple of months.
1: Yeah. He I kind of blind messaged John through YPO and you're a longtime EO YPO guy, which I want to talk a little bit about as well. But it was very generous with his time and to his point we've since kind of gone down the rabbit hole with each other trying to be helpful to one another. And it's just great to have you have you on. I want to get initially into this into the into the talking point about keeping business owners awake at night. We're recording this Q1 2022. 2021 was gangbusters in terms of M and A activity, uh, IPO activity, tons of liquidity in the private markets and public markets. Just a wacky year all around. I know it was for us. Now that people are digesting that, and you've got the benefit of hindsight. I mean, how did that all play out for you all in terms of your business and talking to clients? How would you cast what 2021 felt like for you?
0: Yeah, so 2021, I think, probably ended up pretty close to what we thought, except I'd say I'm not sure that we predicted the ups and downs of COVID and a couple of more, right? Omicron and Delta causing some issues in supply chain. I I, I certainly thought the distribution issues would have been solved by the end of 2021. But if we look back at the end of 2020, we did feel very strongly that our clients would have strong 2021s because after the initial phase of 2020, which was quite horrific for many, but you got to July, August, September, and the businesses started to turn back on and do pretty well. Plus, they got shored up with PPP or, and or uh, some of the employee retention credit uh, money that the, that the U.S. government was kicking out. And those two combos set businesses up in a way, plus they had gotten lean through COVID, that set them up in a way that should have been really positive for 2021 and it played out that way.
1: And now that we're on the other side of it, are you seeing that level of activity decrease at all? or is is it attenuated at all or do you think it's going to be
0: another big year? I think um we're seeing that it's going to be a pretty good year but tempered with two big issues that are I'm sure you're hearing and seeing yourself which is uh the the rising inflation cost. People are very nervous if you're in manufacturing, distribution, retail, it almost doesn't matter what you're in. That is a that is a fear that people have and how do you get ahead of it because Brian, you know, we haven't had this in our lifetimes. I mean, it's been 40 something years since we've had uh, inflation at this rate and doesn't look to be slowing down in the near quarter or two. Combine that with the second thing, which is a work shortage. There's just not enough people in the United States today that are, that are available to work that want a specific type of job. It almost doesn't matter in professional services. I think the last number I saw a few weeks ago was we were 1.5 million short in professional services. That's not just accounting, but all professional services. So there's 1.5 million more openings than there are people looking for openings in that world. That's a problem.
1: And I want to dig into to both of those because what got me excited to have you on the show was your CPA background and you're interacting with a lot of business owners, but you are yourself a business owner, right? I mean, you're an entrepreneur and we might get into a little bit of your journey um, yourself, but I mean, you're also looking at your own PL, You're talking to your own kind of C-suite about how to grow your firm and your business within the financial services space. And you have a lot of these same challenges. Um, so the great resignation, let's talk about it from the client perspective first, but then I also want to hear how you're experiencing it from a CPA uh business level, because we're hearing a lot about how that industry in particular is, is suffering. So what are you hearing, you know, from your your business owner clients about how they're managing the worker shortage? And do you think it's going to, you know, be tamed at all in the next six, 12 months?
0: I'm going to start with the second piece of that, which is is it going to be tamed in the next six to 12 months? I don't see it. I don't see it getting better in the next six to 12 months. I think there's a number of factors and I'm sure you've heard this, but there's a number of factors. We've had the largest number of retirements in the last year than we've had in decades. And that's a combination. If you're, 58, I mean, I'm just picking a number. It doesn't really matter the age. If you're, if you were thinking about retirement the next few years and your house just went up hundred percent in value, your 401k just went up an enormous number in the last two or three years. And you're like, I don't really know about this COVID thing. I don't really understand it. I don't really want to go remote, whatever. Now's the time. And so a huge amount of people, uh, it was 300% increase in retirement. So that's a big problem that a lot of people aren't paying attention to that. That's part of why the workforce is short. Um, and then the other thing is we have to solve getting people into the country and out of their own countries, right? I mean, if you look at how the workforce has grown over the last three decades, most of it is we have we have people from all over the world wanting to come to the United States and work. And so uh, most of the net job growth has been created by people born outside of the United States. And that's not happening in COVID. So we're not getting that, that increase. Um, and what we're hearing from clients is, Whew, it's a challenge. They're having they're having job postings for a long time. They're having you know five interviews offering a job to somebody, and the person's declining and taking another job. Right? They got all the way through the process. We're at a time in in uh, in the world where it's significantly easier to interview for a job than it's ever been in your entire life because we're doing this from different cities. You and I right now. Five years ago or eight years ago, we might not have done this. Maybe I'd have flown to you and done this talk, um, but today. If somebody wants to do a job interview, they can do it at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., or on their lunch hour, and they're doing it from their house on Zoom, and it is totally different. And so that's made the great resignation easier. Um, and we're not, and we're seeing people, uh, clients are suggesting that they're seeing salaries double and triple sometimes when people are leaving, which is not sustainable.
1: Yeah, one editorial comment there. My father, an attorney, total grinder, like very, very much CPA style, loves to work. Work is his identity. He turned seventy uh, last year, and with the with COVID and and to your point, everything else going on, his his retirement account looks really good. He just said, "Screw it, I'm out." And they actually dissolved the firm because so many partners he was partner heavy, which a lot of these small boutiques are. I'm sure it's the same for CPA firms, and so they actually dissolved the whole thing. And so you think about that playing out in a small upstate New York town, which we can maybe get into a little bit. We're both five one eight people um, in Troy. Yeah they just said we're done like we're going to shut this whole thing down and I kind of asked him like what happens to the associates what happens to the clients and he just said you know I made a couple of intros and some recommendations good luck and I'm sure that's playing out across the board for many industries
0: For sure. And that's, that's, you know, people, especially in media, depending on which side you're on, or if you're in the middle, there's all sorts of commentary about why people aren't in the workforce. But the reality is, there's a huge number of your father who are super smart people and have decided that with the world changing in the last two years, and not, and the other thing is not clear as to when it's going to end. So, if you're one of those people and you're already and you're watching every every value you have go up in a crazy way in the last two years, it's like, well, this is the time I'm going to make a change.
1: And on the flip side of it, talk about one percent problems. I'm supposed to go to Telluride for spring break to go skiing, long planned trip because we didn't do anything last year. So like every consumer in America blew it out this year. They are they just called me saying that they have no availability for ski school instructors, no private school, and they're at about fifty percent staffing. Because, you, you know, people are just saying, like, I don't need this, and they can't afford to pay what it would take to entice people to come without it passing through to me. And so I think we're gonna have to cancel the trip, which is fine, it's not a big deal. But you see that playing out across a lot of service industries, hotel, restaurant, food and beverage. Um, and I agree with you, I don't think this is going to change anytime soon. And we have to be really careful with wage increases, because given the inflationary environment, things can get really out to hand really quickly. So are you hearing the same thing from your service oriented clients as well?
0: We are. Uh, we just had we just had I just had a conversation 48 hours ago with uh, an IT services company managed service provider in the tech space, yeah. uh, managing back office technology for companies in the small business space. And twice in Q4, he lost. He's got about 75 people. He lost two of them in Q4. Both of them received, these are junior people, let's call it sub 30 years old, um, whose salary, one of them doubled. They got an offer from a couple billion dollar company and they doubled the salary. And another one got a 60% increase to go. And that's for small to mid-sized companies, that's not sustainable, right? If you're a $3 billion company, paying somebody an extra 30,000 or 50,000 is a big number, but it's not nearly what it is if you're a $8 million company or a $10 million company. And so, um, you know, and that's a problem.
1: So let's tie this into your business. I read, I mean, I take what the media gives me with a grain of salt because, you know, there's a lot of clickbait out there, but I have a COO, I have a controller, we have outside, you know, tax professionals. And so I interact with a lot of these CPA folks and it seems like it's a real challenge right now for small and medium-sized CPA firms to obtain and retain talent, especially given the last two tax seasons have just been horrific. We're in the middle of busy season now. What does that look like from the inside in your business?
0: Yeah. And I would say it's not just small and mid-sized firms. Large firms as well have have had major challenges. If you Our challenge is less about, if you look at the profession, the turnover rates in in the accounting profession have hovered between fifteen and twenty percent for decades, right? So, the turnover is not necessarily based on twenty twenty one stats. Now, isn't necessarily higher. The problem is there aren't we can't replace. So before turnover would happen at fifteen or twenty percent, which is not great, but then you could you could find people right now that we're not be able to find people. So instead of you know replacing 15 to 20% with 15 to 20% new people we might be replacing it with 8% new people right and so we're significantly short across the industry um and that is a combo of people not in the country right there's a lot of european or or asian or other other countries uh, other you know parts of the world who would have college students over here and then they graduate and they stay in the united states for 3 to 7 years and that population is not here in the numbers it was uh, pre covid
1: yeah and I try not to go political uh, in these conversations, and it seems like immigration policy needs to change given the demographic realities of America today in terms of birth rate and migration. I mean, we really need these people to come in order to sustain our GDP growth, in my opinion, and and not just the PhD candidates, but people across the professional and service uh, uh, spectrum. I mean, CPAs are, are no different. It's a great way to kind of create and build wealth as a first-generation immigrant. But unless those folks are coming in, you know, to your point, it, it seems like when I interact with Gen Z and younger people, when I talk to my uh, college uh, with current students, everyone wants to go to tech. Everyone wants to go to, you know, so it, the old line industries are are, are having a, a challenge for sure. I think law firms, when I talk to our attorneys, it's the same thing. So what do you think needs to change within the industry and and what is your kind of secret sauce? And talk a little bit about your business model and, and how you kind of solve some of these problems for other groups.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that we're focused on—not just us, but I think firms our size, right? We're 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 a large, we're, we're top fifty in the country. Um, is we're ha- and we've been trying to solve it for a few years, right? It's been something we could sort of see coming because of your commentary about the tech companies and what's happening, in as people, because you get a little bit of lag time here, you can see trends of accounting majors right so if you're real really studying the profession you can say geez the number of accounting majors is either flat or declining over the last decade well that add five years to when they decide their major and they're going to be in our world right so then What firms have done is they've started to hire other majors, finance, uh, actually a lot of communications type, because a lot of what we do these days is less about the technical and more about how do you communicate with a client? How do you give them advisory services? So certainly we've done that. The other thing that um, we're heavy in ourselves and uh, our competitors is uh, robotic process automation, trying to find, trying to invest big dollars in ways to automate small tasks that you have to do hundreds of times. And I'll give you a real life example. So currently the IRS has said on their own websites, there are more than 10 million pieces of mail behind, right? That, that they haven't filed, they haven't solved returns. Combine that with, they just they just showed like two weeks ago that they only live answered like something like 10% of all phone calls last year, right? Well, I saw
1: that stat, it's crazy. It's,
0: <laughs> it's wild, nuts. it's wild. So we, we have an RPA that calls the IRS uh, cause we, we have people who previous to this previous to about three months ago would sit on the phone for two hours waiting on hold and maybe get somebody right. That's a crazy waste of time. And that's not exciting for the 23 year old. It doesn't really matter the age. Well, now we have an RPA who calls and as soon as the live person picks up on the other end, then it, then it connects to us. So, you know, little things like that, that we have to do repeatedly, that's how we're trying to solve some of it
1: and it seems like with, with groups in the top 50 especially like yourself there definitely is a trend to your point away from just cranking out k1s to more consulting advisory you know pre liquidity event MA con, uh, consulting work which i want to get into with you how do you how do you reconcile that shift across the industry on, on the public accounting side to what has remained a very analog outdated irs and I mean, I don't want to ruin your relationship with the IRS, but I mean they it's perpetually understaffed, it's perpetually underfunded. People talk about tax leakage and how you know what the tax income could be versus what it is because of all these issues. And it is kind of the in 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 many ways the poster child for a horrible bureaucracy setup. What is the solution there? <sighs>
0: Man, if I could solve that, I might be president of the United States. <laughs> I think so so part of the issue is um the the amount of potential tax dollars has risen year and year and year, right? And there's more billionaires today than you know, every day there's new billionaires, right? So combine that with the IRS's funding on an inflation based has declined significantly over the last 25 years. It's hard it doesn't matter what business you're in right in your business imagine if you cut uh, you know the marketing spend 20% over the last 20 years while your client base uh you know grew exponentially you you would lose a large percentage of your of your you know piece of the pie if you were 50% of your industry you'd be 10% and so they're hand strung in a major way i i don't have a quick easy solution except um you know they got to find ways to automate they got to find ways to find dollars and and it's going to take an investment but it's also all really hard to invest right now given the given the current state of uh the government and, and its debt so let, let's pivot
1: back to the m a side and business valuation which is one of your specialties for forever people have been talking about this demographic shift right the baby boomers like my dad leaving the workforce which is going to cause this huge, Generational shift in wealth, but also on the business side, right? And private equity has been pitching this forever that there'll be great opportunities to take down some of these businesses that no longer have kind of multi generational leadership. Are you seeing that play out in in real time now?
0: Definitely. I think so. I think we had one glitch in the system that caused it to delay. I, I like what you said there about. People have been talking about it for a while. I feel like people have been talking about it since 06, right? I The glitch from 08 to 2010 slowed the exit down, not by two years, by like five to seven, because it was a mental thing. There was the business declined, my retirement declined, but also, ooh, what, how much more money do I need to survive another 08 or 010 when I retire? And so- the person who may have thought, oh, I've got enough money when I'm 60 or 65 or 70, it almost doesn't matter the age, now said, I better put a little bit more away. I better make this business a little bit more valuable. I better put more in my retirement and, and work a little bit longer. And so that actually shifted. Now, what we're seeing is your dad, right? I mean, we're, and your dad is the current example, but we're seeing starting in 2020, not right away, the MA market died. If, if you look at March, uh, the number of deals we had that we were working on totally came to a screeching halt. They all paused. Didn't matter what the breakup fee was, they were going to pay it. And it came back online, call it you know almost like mid-July 2020. And from there, it ramped up some, but by the time we got to the start of 2021, it was on fire. Um, and it is people thinking about total retirement. Um, and getting out. And, and, and it's people saying, you know what, I want to do something different. My business isn't set up for what this new post COVID reality looks like, or I don't want to be the leader of it post COVID, because I'm not going to enjoy it, whatever that looks like. And so um, we're seeing massive shifts there.
1: So let's talk about valuation. I mean, people have been talking about how valuations don't make any sense for 10 years since I've been doing real estate cap rates or multiples whatever you want to kind of throw around there um there's obviously been some blowups right um and uh, famously a lot of these ipos have really underperformed since they've gone out but let's focus on the kind of lower middle market range which i think is your kind of niche um one to 30 million dollar type of businesses have have you seen multiples gone up progressively since the great recession and has that changed at all re- recently as we've entered
0: 2022 I would say the 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 increase from the Great Recession going back to 08 to 10, right, I would say they were relatively, even up until 2018 or 19, they were basically a little bit more, maybe another half a turn. So if somebody would have sold for three times, maybe they're selling for three and a half times EBITDA or something, right, just as a reference point. But it was probably similar to what 06 was. It wasn't that much different. However, in the last 24 months, really not 24 months because it's Q1 2022, really in the last 18 months, we've seen that go up at least a turn overnight almost. Um, And that is a combination of two things. It's the quality of the businesses that are now potentially hitting the market combined with... Uh, you know, a little bit of nerves on the market run up, there's been a there's been an enormous run up in real estate, there's been a big run up in the stock market. And so if I'm an entrepreneur who currently has a $20 million company, maybe I want to go buy somebody else and and bet on myself instead of these other two venues, maybe. Um, And so there's more people actually looking at acquisitions um, than were before. And so that's driving up that's driving up prices combined with private equity, there's a lot fewer companies in that twenty million to two hundred million than there was ten or fifteen years ago. Companies have gotten really large. Private equity's already done it, so they've come down to a scale we've never seen before, which drives up prices.
1: You mean the private equity guys are going downstream in terms of deal size, just because there's not enough product for them in that middle market that there used to be?
0: Yeah, I mean we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, ten years ago, I never would have seen. I never would have seen a private equity group touch a company less than. 25 million, 40 million in revenue. We're seeing them sometimes come under 10 million. That's
1: wild. So, you wrote a whole book about this, which I encourage people to go check out if if you're a business owner and your business is in that range and you're listening. I mean, for, first off, I I like this, I like to ask this question. Who do you want to make sure you have around the kitchen table when you're when you're considering doing a transaction? Maybe let's start there with with who needs to be in the room. And then I want to get into a little bit of the advice and the
0: blueprint and red flags. So I might surprise you with my first one, and it would be the significant other in your life, whatever that looks like. Because uh, in this size deal, family better be on board, <laughs> whatever the decision is, because it's a life change and it's an emotional roller coaster. It is, uh, it is going up and down as you go through a deal, and then what happens after. So family better be a, a, on at the table, um, and that, and whatever that looks like to somebody, because everybody's family is different. Then the second would be certainly somebody, uh an investment banker or a business broker, depending on the size of a deal. Um your internal leadership team, if you're transparent, some businesses aren't. That's okay too. If you're if you're transparent, your internal leadership team, the the C-suite or the key managers, the VPs, whatever. Um, and then a and then an MA specific CPA and attorney, not somebody, not your general with, if you work with a decent sized firm, they have somebody in the M&A space, right on the law side and the CPA side, but it shouldn't be, you know, the person that prepares your tax return. And that's all they do every day. And they work on one deal a year. That's not helpful to you to get you through this transaction, because it's a once in a lifetime transaction, hopefully.
1: Right. I mean, this is kind of, this is the big lick for a lot of people, right? Um, So entering into it, how do you recommend people kind of frame up the process or the conversation? And, in my experience, groups like yours are really invaluable pre-transaction, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like the corporate attorney, when they talk to the litigator and the litigator says, yeah, you should have hired the corporate attorney <laughs> five years ago, you would have saved a lot of yeah. trouble. But here we are today. I mean, what does that look like from your experience? And what are best practices there?
0: Yeah, we typically would love to hear at least two years in advance uh, that somebody's thinking about it. Problem we find candidly is that some the the vast majority of these size companies are run by founders, and they wake up and it happens almost all the time that it's very there's three or four reasons their best friend just had a heart attack and they're 55, they they just had uh, the the Christmas break right that what I call Hanukkah all the way through New Year's where the world seems to shut down and they spend a lot of quality family time and they realize they're missing that. Or uh, or they went through some other major life event and they decide literally right then they're going to sell and that's not awesome we'd love to have two years or three years. To be able to work through a few things, one is making sure everything's totally buttoned down did you decision making matrix within your company right there's lots of processes and systems that aren't documented by entrepreneurs and founders. Can we, can we work through a process to, to suggest you document those over the next two years? Hey, look, you know, you've always talked about the fact that you are driving this business. How about you hire a key salesperson and let's get them up to speed so that the transition happens easier, which will help your valuation. Hey, look, uh, I think you need, you have too big a client. This one client's 35% of your revenue. You got to diversify that if you want maximum exit value. Let's focus on that. There's different things and it's different by business. But with three days notice, it's challenging to suggest items. Yeah, I often talk to
1: second and third generation family members post liquidity event, and they will often say, I wish we had, you know, private equity dangles a big number, and it's really exciting. But once you go a few years out, after taxes, after fees, um, if you didn't plan it correctly, you kind of wish that you had stayed in, in the business many times, because, you know the reality is there's a lot of efficiencies that can be um, made on the front end. And also groups like yourselves, you can really change that multiple pretty significantly. You know, If you really understand somebody who's gone through private equity transactions, what the KPIs and the metrics are that these PE groups are really going to focus on, you, you can really create a lot of, of, of wealth by just kind of thinking through how you present the firm.
0: Yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, they take... Uh, you know in the in the discussion they may take an offer from somebody without even you know running a process and comparing them against five other potential buyers or 10 other 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 buyers and so you're you're almost bidding against yourself to the lowest common denominator which is tough because they see a big number it might not be the right number though they they oh that's 10 million dollars just pick a number uh geez that's life-changing money but after taxes after fees and the other thing that people forget about sometimes is, look, my K-1 or whatever says I made, you know, half a million dollars and I took a salary of 150. So 650 is what I need to live off. They forget that, you know, they put 40 grand into retirement. They also pay for their health insurance through the company. They also have their country club, their car, what, you know, it's like when you add that stuff up, it's like, no, 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 you're you're not making 650. You're making like, you know, 950 or whatever. And so you got to pay attention to what you have to live off when you're when uh, you're, you're now owned by private equity, they're not going to do that.
1: And, and what are your what's your opinion on some of these earnouts? Or um, I know in our family, when we've gone through some of these from a portfolio company perspective, we often fund like a litigation war chest on the front end because there's always kind of a fight about about earnouts and the numbers and, and that kind of thing. What's your experience there?
0: I So when we' when we're advising uh, a seller, we tell them to make sure that they're comfortable that they might not get another dollar, right? So if 80% of it, I, just 80% of the 10 million dollar transactions paid up front, just look mentally, you need to be ready that that's the number. And that way if they it, that way they don't get as emotional, sometimes this process is so emotional that way they understand, look, okay, that's fine. We also tell them to spend a lot of time digging into the backgrounds of the buyer. If they're a private equity group who does this all the time, like call their last 10 transactions, how did those people come out on the other side of this? You know, ethical people who like, you know, they're not, it's not worth fighting over a couple hundred grand to ruin a reputation if you're a private equity group, right? So that, so they really only, in my experience, they really only take battles that they know are going to, that they're going to win and that are pretty ugly because they don't want to ruin a reputation. You don't want to, you don't want to be a private equity group that's, that screws the seller time and time again. And nobody's going to do a deal with you. That reputation is going to get out.
1: Yeah. Very, uh, comparable to the real estate business where (laughs) on the buy side, you know, there are groups who run what I call the New York playbook, which is two to three weeks out from closing, you're going to get a phone call and it's the retrade. And, and, you know, you've already gone hard on the money. Wow. You know, and they're going to cut you 10 to 15% haircut just because they, you know, you're almost done with the deal and you're going to have to swallow that bitter pill. And that's just kind of the the way they do things. Now, you know, after doing this for 10 years, you kind of know those groups and that kind of deal. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely do a little bit of homework on the front end. Um, Are you hearing or seeing anything in terms of rate of the fed increasing rates, impacting some of these, Leveraged buyout, private equity deals, and my opinion is, is it will impact that business pretty tremendously because they're so, they're so. uh, The tax deductions are such a big part of that business. Are are you hearing or seeing any rumblings there?
0: Uh, I'm not hearing or seeing it yet. Certainly, the Fed is going to do what they're going to do, but I can speak from past history and say the first business I ever bought was in 2000. Well. Four, but that was cash but 2006 was the first time I really took on debt uh to buy a business and it was like prime plus two and a half the interest rate was darn near 11 percent right you cannot physically pay 11 percent versus say today prime plus two and a half is around five and a half to six percent somewhere in there you can't pay the same for the for the same business it doesn't the math just doesn't work and so it absolutely, uh, valuations of businesses are definitely tied to macroeconomic indicators like interest rates. And as interest rates rise, if they rise half a percent, whatever, but if they rise a couple points, two, three percentage points, it will absolutely impact what leverage buyouts or even small SBA deals can possibly do. Yeah.
1: You know, people, investors ask me what's going to happen rate increases. And I'm with you. If it's below hundred basis points, I think it's de minimis. I mean, it certainly will impact things, but we've been in such a low interest rate environment. I think there's cushion, but you start getting two, 300 basis points, it's just a cost of capital, right? Like the, the my capital stack in terms of my debt gets more expensive, which basically means it cuts into equity returns for my common investors. And so the, the question is really, well, if you're the one who's going to suffer because now it's more expensive for me to take down 65% of my deal than it was last year. And that's going to flow through to my returns and, and cap rates and everything. And I think that's across the board. Hopefully that's that's not the case, but um, that perspective is really helpful. Um, and, I,
0: and, and different maybe, uh, you know, you'd have to tell me on the real estate side, but on the M&A side, most of the rates float, which is a problem, right? So if you bought in 2021 at a peak multiple and rates rise fast enough, it could be the perfect storm of not great news.
1: Yeah, so we don't do floating rate deals because uh, we've we ran to that kind of great recession. Uh, um, so we've kind of learned our lesson. There are a few, a few a few deals that we do floating rate. For the most part, it's fixed rate, just because. And we've seen this play out. We feel like there's much more risk to the downside than there's the upside. You know, we just felt like rates going down, maybe incrementally, possible. The probability of them going up <laughs> you know, on a multiple basis, definitely higher. And I think we're seeing that play out. But to your point, I see some of the leverage ratios on some of these real estate deals that my friends are participating in or sponsors I know are doing, you know, high LTV, floating rate, especially in the multifamily world. And the cash cushion is already so tight that if your NOI goes down, you're in what my Wall Street friends would call the death spiral. <laughs> and you're underwater on that deal and it's it's really scary because now you're refinancing into a higher interest rate environment and i think that's what's been interesting right post great Rece- great recession and then post covid over the last 12 24 months all these family offices and high net worth people are asking me like where are the deals where are the deals like there's no pressure there there's, there's no refinancing pressure there you know maybe some hotel deals are falling out but it, there hasn't been there's been the ability to refinance debt is so cheap and the Fed is encouraging lenders to get money out the door. But I think if that changes, you're going to see a lot of people um, go sideways on these things, which some really smart private equity people are going to pick up some good deals, probably.
0: (laughs) That's probably true.
1: um, Well, John, I want to thank you for taking the time to to join us today. Could you touch on a little bit uh, more about kind of the podcast and and the firm and, and what your focus is, if people out there listening and want to engage with you and learn more about...
0: The work product and the services that you provide sure so uh aprio is a top 50 accounting consulting advisory firm we have uh offices in new york city nashville charlotte uh, atlanta birmingham we're covering the southeast along with new york city and uh and the aprio advisory podcast is a great way to listen to you know some, somewhat is what we do but a lot of it is is our clients and our community and and the things that are happening in thought leadership in small to mid-sized companies around M&A banking uh, trend analysis you know tax law changes all sorts of things to help uh, small to mid-sized companies no plans to
1: open an Albany office anytime soon?
0: <laughs> you know, Albany, New York, I I, uh, I moved out of there 20 years ago. If we open an office there, it's not going to be me driving it. <laughs> yeah, so the
1: inside joke, John and I, we met for breakfast in Charlotte uh, where he lives. Um, we were doing kind of the the background thing and he and I grew up as the crow flies, not really close to each other, but s- small places in upstate New York near Albany, which is um talk about a demographic flight uh oh my gosh um yes i mean just brutal but my folks are still up there grinding it out it's like negative two right now up there so (laughs) i'm very thankful that that's funny because you and i both had the same comment when you meet somebody who is from that part of the world your immediate comment is like congratulations you got out alive (laughs) like good for you (laughs) you made it like you're part of the part of the crew um but i want to thank you for joining i definitely encourage people to check out the podcast It's really good. Um, They have some really interesting things there. And and I tell people all the time, CPAs are always fascinating to talk to because business owners, high net worth individuals, investors, entrepreneurs always trust their CPA more than anyone else in their life, usually including their spouse. So they always have the most actionable inside information about what's happening within the marketplace, the industry today, because the first thing people do pre-liquidity, post-liquidity, when things are going great or bad in their business, they call the CPA to ask for advice. So I definitely encourage people to reach out uh, to John and his firm. And I want to thank you for the time.
0: Thanks so much. I enjoyed it.
1: Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review and stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.
0: Acast anbefaler.
1: Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig
0: sidder... Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi er skidetræt alle
1: de der podcast, og forklarer Vi nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulige ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet mod. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjovt spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.